Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 16, says this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful. Uh, when we think of going to church, we think of this, oh, I don't know, anemic organization that's what the world thinks of. They think we're delusional in what we do. And maybe part of the reason is because we have decided to build our own churches. I can get that if you want. I'll answer it for you. <laughs> we, think of, we think of an organization rather than a living, breathing, powerful entity. And it's not what we were ever to, intended to be. All the designs and pictures of the church in the New Testament talk about a family or a body, but not really a corporation. In the United States, we've turned church into a corporation. Fullness Christian Fellowship is officially a 501c3 charitable nonprofit organization with the board of directors. Believe it or not, we have all those because we have to have all those things in the society we live. But if those things become the driving force behind who we are, then we've lost our identity. The church is God's idea. It is established by him, empowered by him, centered upon him. It, can't, it cannot be run like a human organization. It's a new way of living. It's a call of the Lord. It asks us to deny ourselves, to operate out of a different mentality, to be part of a church. We've looked in these weeks how churches really are home away from home. I, I, I know this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, right? And so heaven, the new heaven, new earth, is my ultimate destination. But in between here and there, this is to be heaven on earth, so to speak. This is my home away from home. So what does it look like to be part of this thing called the church? We've looked at how uh, a church is to have a purpose. We're to be a house of worship, a center of building community. We're an instrument to expand the kingdom of God. I really don't see much on there about buildings and chairs and carpets and stuff. We're to be a community with God at the center. Jesus be the center of not just my life, but our lives. Our goal is to be a community with Jesus at the center. And the way we get there is through relationships. Relationships with God in the center is the vehicle through which that goal is achieved. We can't be a community and not have relationships with one another. Relationship with God, relationship with one another. Christianity is in its basic nature relational. When we have these community and relationships, we've seen that we should be thankful. <clears throat> Isn't it hard at times to be really grateful for the relationships that you're most intimately involved in? 
I mean, really, who do you get the maddest at? Some of you have never been to my house. I mean, the ones we get the most mad at are the ones we're the closest to. We start to see the angles where they're imperfect. And rather than being grateful and embracing the differences, that brings tension. We need to be grateful. There needs to be a greater level of intimacy in our relationships. We have to, we have to know one another and be known by one another. There's an idea of partnership. We are working together to, to see God's purposes accomplished on the earth. And when that happens, we become more confident in who we are. Part of the reason we are so um, self-absorbed and walk in little confidence is because the first three things aren't taking place. There's no gratitude. There's no gratefulness. There's no real intimacy. There's no idea of partnership. There's, an, there's this gift of presence that we give one another. The presence of our time and our heart and our attention. And ultimately, it's about love. It's a, we're going to come back to the idea of love again today because you cannot subtract love from who we are as a church. We live in this imperfect world. We live by faith in Jesus we gather in his name. We call these gatherings churches, but there's got to be so much more to it than merely this. Sunday morning event. This morning, I, I want to talk to all of us about if, and I believe this is true, if when I become a follower of Jesus Christ, then I am put into this entity known as the church, that I'm not, it's not just me and Jesus, it's us and Jesus, then how do I fit in to this entity known as the church? Because, see, here's my contention. Every single one of you is supposed to be fitting in somehow. Uh, if you think, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not smart enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not... You know, you're absolutely right. You're none of those things. I mean, really, in and of yourself... What God has called you to be is something much more than that. But he empowers you to do it. And if you're going to, if the church is going to be this overcoming entity, then we all have to receive the truth that greater is in me, in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in me than me. Right? So, yeah, you're right. You, you, you can't do it. You're not smart enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not rich enough. Just go on down the list and then get over yourself. I mean, really, get over yourself so that you can get out of the way and let God work within you. That his power can make you all that he wants you to be. Because I believe every single one of us has a part to play. You know, in every family, everybody's got their part, right? I mean, if, you're, if you came into my house and saw my family... At work, if you're close enough, for those of you who've had that blessed opportunity, uh, you would see that we all play a different role in our family. When I was growing up, um, I'm the middle of three children. Uh, my sister is, is very, very smart. My brother is very engaging. Uh, I'm in the middle somewhere. Uh, and, and so my role in our family growing up was that of mediator. Um, I mediated between older, younger, 
between children and parents. So, I, I know it's stupid to, to say it like this, but if my brother and sister wanted something from my parents, they came to me to ask my parents for whatever it is they wanted. That was part of my role in the family. Bart, would you see if mom will let me go out? And I'm like, why, why don't you ask them? Because you just have a way of asking. And, and so, you know, that gift of mediation is kind of carried over in my life. But we all have a part to play in who we are. What does it mean to be a part of the believing community? I, I really, we have tried at fullness to emphasize this, and we're going to hit it harder and harder and harder in the days ahead. In that, if you're a child or they're downstairs, so they're not hearing me right now, but you're a youth, young adult, college student, young married, old as the hills, you have a part to play in this church. It is not this certain demographic that is the church, and then everybody else is just perfect. We want everybody to understand if you're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, you have a part to play in this church. And we want to see you fully released to play your part, to do your part. So here's the idea this morning. The church is this thing, this organism that God has created. How do I fit in? to what I'm supposed to do. And I want to look at these pictures to kind of give us an idea. So here's the first thing. The church is a building, be a brick. Now you may be saying, wait a minute, I think the pastor's told, telling me I'm a brick. Yeah, you're a brick. You're a brick. Now you're not just any kind of brick. Uh, according to Peter, as you come to him, he's the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. goes on, it says, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Yeah, you're a... You're a stone, you're a brick, but you are not just a dead brick, you're a, you're a living stone. We have a group called Living Stones. Barely living stones. No, no. It's, it's our older uh, adults who gather together. Uh, they used to call it uh, you know, halfway to heaven, and I used to joke with them, it's more like one foot in, but uh, they, it is a great group. It's a strong group within our church. But that really, we are all living stones. All of us are, are to play our part. There's this story about uh, the, the king of Sparta, uh, that ancient city in Greece known for its great warriors, who boasted to another visiting monarch about the mighty walls of Sparta. And the visiting monarch, monarch looked around, and he didn't see any walls, and he say, said, I, I would like to see these great walls, at which the Spartan ruler pointed out with great satisfaction a large, disciplined army of soldiers. And he said, there they are. Those are the walls of Sparta. You know, when Jesus talks about a temple... His presence dwelling. He, he's pointing at us and saying, this 
This is the temple of the Lord. That's who we are. You know, as you look around at this building, some 30 years ago, it wasn't here. It was just a tree somewhere or concrete that hadn't been created or cloth that hadn't been woven or metal that had not been fashioned. It was just stuff sitting around. And people came together and gathered up all this stuff and made this building. It's the same with us. Isn't it incredible what God has done in this place? I mean, really. Eartha was raised New Jersey, Rhode Island, Kina and Tulu, Nigeria, me, South Florida, Jack, Jasper, Cheryl, Indiana. I mean, those are just locations, but think about it. 25 years ago, none of us even knew each other, really. And now God, in his sovereignty and his providence, has brought all of us together as living stones into a, a temple, a place of worship. We didn't do this. I mean, I couldn't have done this out of my own energy, my own might. It, it came because God has brought us together. Paul is amazed when he looks around at the church, how Jews and Gentiles have come together, and he says in Ephesians, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups become one. Listen, if I, I know we live in a nation where there are numerous racial tensions, but you can't even imagine the gap between Jew and Gentile in the mind of Paul. I mean, it, it was, Paul will freely confess his uh, spiritual elitism, his racism when it came to being one of God's chosen people, which means I'm chosen, you ain't, right? I mean, your worldview is all of that. I'm part of the people of God and you're not. But now Jesus has come, and the miracle, the mystery that Paul talks about in Ephesians is Jew and Gentile have been brought together. Now, we, all from all these backgrounds, we are brought into oneness. We have to know who we are. We're not just any building. We are a temp temple. We are the presence and power the, uh, of of the Lord himself. It should cause us to rise up and celebrate one another and to celebrate him and to celebrate the church for what it's supposed to be. In April, every year, over a thousand reporters and journalists show up to cover one of the largest single-day sporting events in the world. It's not the Super Bowl, it's not the Indianapolis 500, but rather the Boston Marathon. 35,000 runners ran last year, and over, listen to this, over a million spectators lined the road. A million spectators. When the starting gun goes off in, on Monday morning, late Monday morning, it starts off in Hoppington, which is this little more rural place, and you start running, and 
there are crowds right around the beginning, but there aren't that many. And for the first three or four miles, it's kind of you're running through country roads. And then all of a sudden, you start to come into Boston, and the crowds just get thicker and thicker and thicker till where they're 10, 15, 20, 30 feet wide on either side. If you have your name on your bib, Bill, scream out your name for the whole time. Go, Bart, go, go, Bart. Mile 12, you run through, and you run through Wellesley, and there are all these girls out there who uh, want to give you a kiss. And you can hear them from like half a mile because they're, the pitch is like, it goes up. Some people call it the sirens of Wellesley, and that's what it sounds like because all the, the all-girls college are out there screaming and yelling. Mile 21 is about the hardest part. It's a series of hills that goes up, and at the top is Boston College, and I remember when I was running it, I was, I, I really, I was done at the top of mile 21 because the hills are in a bad place, and at the top of the hill, there are these frat boys, um, and it's probably like one or two in the afternoon. They've, they've already been imbibing a little bit. They're sitting on a couch, and they stand up on the couch, and they see me run up the hill, and they start yelling, Bart, 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 Bart. Now, there's something about it that encouragement that makes you, you have to run. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't possibly stop as, as much as you feel. There's this encouragement and life that comes from the, from the crowd. It's known in, in running as something known as the Bislett effect. The Bislett effect was, has been uh, documented over the last hundred years. Bislett Stadium uh, is this old stadium in Oslo, Norway. It, it was built in 1922 as a speed skating arena, and then by 1940, it had been renovated to include a track. From 1940 to the year 2000, over 62 track and field records were set in Bislett Stadium in Oslo, Norway, which is far and away more than any other stadium in the world. Sports Illustrated listed Bislett Stadium as one of the top 20 stadiums in any sport in the entire world. It was torn down in 2004 and rebuilt uh, in its format. What made it so incredible was that the track, because it used to be speed skating, they put it right up against the stands, and the stands were almost vertical over the track. And it only held 20,000 people, but the runners that ran in it, like uh, Sebastian Coe, who set a mile record, um, Stephen Cram, who shattered Coe's record, it's, they would say it was like the people were right on top of you. And the acoustics of the stadium made it sound so loud that they would say, if you can't run well at Bislett, you can't run any bloody wear. That's British, by the way. Uh, I don't have an accent. What was the secret? It was the crowd. It was the fans. The sense of 21,000 people screaming, pushing you forward. There's this effect in our lives that we need to encourage one another. You see, the idea of a brick, if we're not careful, is just this mortar that's like in its place that does nothing. But that's not the idea. We, we are living stones called to encourage one another to do our part, 
to be growing and increasing in our knowledge of the, of the Lord. You see, we are we're chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that we can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, us out of darkness, and into his wonderful light. It's a great opportunity to be a part of the temple, this living, breathing building that God has made us to be a part of. Second is this. We're a body. We need to be a part. We need to understand we are a part of the body of Christ. Look at these three scripture passages um, that are, you, you, I'm sure you know already. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Colossians 1, 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And then in Romans, it says, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. See, we're not just our own. We're bought with a price. We belong to him, and we belong to each other. This is a radical way of thinking, especially in 21st century America. I mean, really, it goes against the grain of our even cultural ideal that you might belong to me or I might belong to you. You see, I, my life is my life to live alone, right? I make my own decisions. I do what I'm supposed to do. I, if I want to move, I move. If I want to change churches, I change churches. If I want to get married, I get married. If I want to get a new job, I get a new job. If I want to do this, I do this. Listen, I'm not looking for, I, believe me, I, I am in no way looking to control your life. I don't have time to do it. I mean, I can barely maintain control. But there is this integration that we need to see that when you make a decision, it affects me. And when I make a decision, it affects you. I mean, my, my hand can't say I'm going off. I'm just going to wander away somewhere. I, you know, my ear can't say, I'll do this. You, the rest of you guys have fun. I mean, really, that's not the way the body, we're integrated. We're a part of each other. I mean, we can do incredible things together. But there's got to be an idea that we're together in this. <clears throat> I, I know I'm geeky in so many different ways that it's hard to enumerate them all. But I've always loved reading the newspaper. I mean, it's just been this deal with me since I was little. I, I just love the newspaper. I hate the fact that Birmingham only prints a newspaper three times a week now. It drives me crazy. Everything's gone away. I like to hold the newspaper. I like to read the newspaper. I've always liked reading comic strips. You can judge me, you know, if you want. <laughs> I've always liked comic strips. I still read comics. So Kathy wandered through and she said, it looks like you're reading the comics. I am reading the comics and I like it. It's, it's fun for me. You know, since I was little, one of my most favorite ones and many people's is, of course, Peanuts, Charlie Brown. I even did uh, the musical, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, played Linus in the play, Dance with the Blanket. You can picture it later. Um, 
But one of my favorites is this uh, one where uh, Linus is watching television and Lucy comes in. Uh, you may not be able to read it, but she says, switch the channel. And uh, he doesn't move. He just sits there. And then she comes back and says, I told you to switch the channel. To which he says, well, what makes you think you can tell me what to do? And then she says this, these five fingers. She says, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. <laughs> to which he says, uh, what channel would you like? And then he sighs, and he looks at his hand, and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> you know, one of the reasons that the church, as we know it, I believe, is so ineffective is because we see ourselves as a group of random individuals that God has redeemed, and we're, we're going to heaven, but we're going to heaven individually. And it's just really, it's just between me and Jesus. It's all about me and Jesus. And therefore, I've got mine. I know I'm supposed to go to church. You know, I know I'm supposed to give some money. I know I'm supposed to try and raise my kids the best I can. But it's really just about me, me and mine, getting what we need. If Satan can't keep us out of heaven, he'll keep us from being effective. And one of the ways that happens is that you don't really see yourself as a part. I, I want to say this to you in the most loving, pastoral sense. I can say it. If you're waiting for me to ask you to be a part, then you're probably going to be waiting a long time. I mean, I'm trying to ask people, trying to get them engaged. That's part of my role. But if you ever get a vision for who God has made you and redeemed you, you should jump from your seat and say, I want to be a part. I want to do what God has called me to do. Listen, is it not easier just to sit back and do nothing and let others do? You think that, but you'll never achieve your destiny by yourself. You'll never achieve what God has called you to do by not engaging. You'll never be everything God has called you to be if you don't see that he has gifted you with a spiritual gift that is given for the building up of the body of Christ. Walk in that giftedness. Each member is indispensable. Each member depends on each other, and we are connected and affect each other. Final point is this. The church is a bride. Be faithful. Be faithful. This analogy of the bride is not even just New Testament. It, it goes all the way back to the old. Isaiah says in Isaiah 62.5, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. The passage uh, Tim read earlier from Revelation, that familiar passage says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Here it is. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's us, 
has made herself ready. What are the ramifications for us as the bride of Christ? And here's the big question. Are, are we making ourselves ready? Here's ways that I believe that happens. First, we've got to be united in love. I mean, this kind of goes along with all the points I've already been making. But in Ephesians, the scripture says, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. He said, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. We read this all the time, right, when we talk about marriage, where we're trying to encourage couples, hey, you're going to leave your father, you're going to leave your mother, you're going to become one flesh. Now, now listen, this is where this passage gets a little bit confusing. Listen to what he says. This is a great mystery. Really? Man and woman coming together? And he says, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. I, I'm not sure you see the point here. Let me help jump over this little hurdle. He's saying marriage is the illustration. Too often we read this passage and we think, oh, the church is the illustration of marriage. Paul's saying, no, no, no. This is how big a deal this bride of Christ thing is. Marriage is an illustration of what Christ is doing with us. This love relationship that we are to have. Again, I've already said it this morning, but many people see church as some sort of ritual. You know, this habit that we have to do or, or this rigor, like it's a discipline I have to go through, but it's about a relationship, a relationship between us and Jesus and us and each other. We're united in love. And the illustration of it is marriage. So I'm going to use that a couple of more times here as we go along. So we're to be united in love. We're, we're called to be pure. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing and water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Same passage. He's still talking about the church. I mean, it gets confusing in here. To the point you're not sure, is he talking about marriage here, or is he talking about the church here? Well, he's talking about both. But he's using marriage, again, as an illustration of the church. Jesus said, if we, if we love him, we're going to do what? We're going to obey his commands. If we love him, love relationship, then we're going to maintain a purity. Love and purity go hand in hand. Let me say it again. Love and faithfulness, purity, go hand in hand. You see, I, I, I'm raised from death to life in sin, and I've been transformed. Now I have a love relationship with Jesus, and it's this love relationship with Jesus that keeps me moving me forward in him. Let's flip this around just for a second. <clears throat> I'm married, beautiful wife. Amen? Thanks. Um, I'm married. I have a beautiful wife. If, if I'm committed to my wife just because I'm committed to the institution of marriage, 
there's going to be something really short there, right? In that relationship. If, if I'm committed to marriage, and the only reason I'm doing it is because I'm committed to the institution or because it's a convenience, it's necessary. If I even am married just, and stay married and try and stay pure just because of um, trying to be a good example to my children, there's still something falling way short in my marriage. What is it that's going to move my marriage forward? What is it that's going to keep me faithful and pure in my relationship with my wife? It's love. It's the, it's the unity that we have with one another. Same thing within the church. If, if, we, if we do church just because we're committed to the institution of church, then that's a Hebrew term. Or what does that really matter? It, it just doesn't, it carries no life. Edmund Clowney says this, if the church, rather than Christ, becomes the center of our devotion, spiritual decay has begun. A doctrine of the church that does not center on Christ is self-defeating and false. We sang it earlier, Jesus be the center of our church. As the bride, we're also to be living with expectancy. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This idea of the absent bridegroom, the absent bridegroom. He's coming back for his bride. Max Lucado, in, in a book, tells about this really handsome, powerful prince who fell in love with a peasant girl. And the peasant girl was not beautiful by any means. Uh, in the right light, she might even be described as homely. In a bad light, but nonetheless, this handsome, powerful prince fell in love with her and asked her to be his bride. To which she said yes. But in an unusual twist, the prince said, I have to leave for a period of time, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you as my bride. The prince leaves, and this peasant girl who has nothing of her own, is not especially attractive, has no real, nothing really going for her, you would even have said, why in the world would this prince fall in love with this, bra uh, this peasant girl? But he did. She is everything but a princess, only missing the name at this point. So when he leaves, what does she act like? Well, she starts flirting with other guys. She starts acting, she never mentions his name. She never talks about who he is. Lucado goes on to say, in a much more eloquent fashion, but I think you get the point, this is the way the church acts toward Jesus. We're nothing but a homely peasant girl who the prince has called to be his own. And yet we go around living as if 
We can be with others. We can do what we want, that we're not all that special. The Lord builds his house. If we try to build it, we're going to labor in vain. But he'll build it if we'll do our part. If we'll understand we're living stones, if we'll understand that we're a body of Christ and each one of us has a part and we're gifted by him, if we really fall in love with Jesus as the bride is supposed to, God will build. Jesus will build his church and will become an overcoming, prevailing church. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Let me encourage you, church, to be the church. Be what God has called, be in relationship with him, be in relationship with one another, Allow the Spirit of God to move mightily within your life to, to fulfill the destiny for which he's called you and called us together so that I believe we can be a lighthouse church in the city of Birmingham, a place that shows forth the glory of God for his praise. Now, I can tell you, not everybody wants to be a part of a church like that. I mean, really, some would rather not. They would rather not be called out like that. Listen, I, I, I'm asking you to be a part of this journey together. I'm so thankful so many of you already have. And I pray that that will continue in the days ahead so that we can achieve the destiny for which God has redeemed us and created us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence here among us. We thank you that we, we matter to you. We thank you, Lord, that we thank you that we don't, we don't have to do this. This is not about us doing this. This is about what you're doing in our midst. By your power, your might, your presence, we are so grateful, Lord, that you are here with us and among us and I want to pray right now that fullness would be everything that you have for this church to be. That every individual would know that they are part of the body of Christ. That every person here would know that they are a living stone. That we would together realize that we are the bride of Christ. Living in great expectancy and love and impurity. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray right now if there's anyone here who does.